Hello, and welcome to the Folkloristic Podcast, the podcast about the stories we love to hear and the stories we long to tell. My name is Bernie, and I'll be your host. Happy New Year to all of the listeners of the Folkloristic Podcast. I'm super excited about 2017 and all that we have in front of us over the coming months. Um, it was fun to get this uh, podcast and website started here at the end of 2016. Uh, we're still kind of figuring this thing out, but I'm uh, really excited about the things that are coming up over the next several months and, and weeks and months here at Folkloristic as we have some really interesting interviews scheduled and I think some things that you're going to really enjoy. So I hope that you're enjoying this podcast. If you uh, have any feedback, I sure would love to uh, hear from you. Uh, you can email me at bard at folkloristic.com or you can uh, shoot me a message on Twitter at Bernie the Bard. I uh, would love to hear from uh, the listeners here at Folkloristic. Hearing from listeners is actually the uh, reason that uh, we have the guests that we have on our show today. Uh, today, I'm really excited to bring to you a conversation that I had with Dave and Alyssa Q. Uh, Dave and Alyssa uh, were, have put together, I have a project that they're working on in that they're putting together a series of stories uh, that are based on the folklore uh, in the region surrounding several different national parks, and they're calling this uh, Project Campfire Stories. I'm super excited to not only get my hands on the book, but it was really cool to talk to Dave uh, and Alyssa to hear how the book has come together, how they, they got the idea for the project, what some of the challenges were as they as they proceeded to, to do this project, and uh, really just to uh, to, to kind of hear their story, uh, kind of hear the story behind the stories that uh, they're producing in this book. So uh, I, I really had fun talking to them, and I hope you have fun listening to our conversation today. You'll want to be sure to check out the show notes for this episode at uh, folkloristic.com slash podcast. Uh, also, you will also want to maybe check out uh, Dave and Alyssa's website at campfirestoriesbook.com. Uh, there you can find uh, a lot of super interesting articles and uh, blog posts and some really cool things that they uh, have posted as they put together the Campfire Stories book. So uh, you'll need to check that out uh, here at the end of this episode. So without any further ado, I would like to uh, present to you my conversation with Dave and Alyssa Q. So I am here today with Dave and Alyssa Q. Uh, Dave and Alyssa came to my attention through one of the listeners to the Folkloristic Podcast, and uh, they gave me a website and uh, a project that Dave and Alyssa are working on, and I'm super excited to be able to talk to you guys today about this uh, Campfire Stories um, book project, and uh, I hope that uh, the listeners at uh, Folkloristic will really uh, benefit from that. So uh, Dave and Alyssa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, thanks, thanks for having us. It is my pleasure. So 
Uh, we just now just met, so I, I don't I don't know you guys, and you don't know me. So maybe if you could just um, maybe tell us a little bit about yourselves, um, just personally, and uh, in doing so, maybe kind of tell us a little bit about what precipitated uh, the Campfire Stories project. Sure. Um, so. Alyssa here. Um, I'm a designer and strategist here in Philadelphia. Uh, this is Dave. I'm an artist, a visual artist that works out of Philadelphia. And we, we kicked off this project a um, bit over a year ago, maybe almost two. And it was kind of born around a campfire, quite literally. Mm -hmm. um, we are longtime visitors of Acadia National Park, and we found ourselves around a campfire one night and just in a moment of a silence in a lull, I kind of watched my hand as I went to reach for my phone, and I remember being so super disappointed in myself for grabbing my cell phone. Um, I think that is just kind of something that's a part of being a millennial you just kind of get used to reaching for your phone and I remember thinking I wish I had some stories to tell or some stories to read about this place around the campfire and I also thought that it would make a really adorable gift for Dave for a birthday or Christmas to find him a campfire storybook and when I went to look for one I couldn't really find exactly what I had in mind. Um, they were all ghost stories, spooky stories. Mm -hmm. And I think I was more interested in folklore or legends or, um, you know, things that were traditional or regional about place. Mm -hmm. um, and I couldn't quite find it or it was highly regional or specific. Um, so we always just kind of had that in the backs of our minds of projects that we might want to work on, maybe just for ourselves, for our own camping trips. But um, I think Dave and I were looking for some sort of life change a couple years back, a year ago, and we thought about moving, and we were actually hiking in the Great Smoky Mountains, and Dave said, hey, why don't we work on campfire stories together as a book and that kind of was the beginning of this whole process this whole journey cool wow well that's that's actually super interesting um well for several reasons just one i i connect with this desire to to put the phone away and to tell stories but also just uh the whole outdoors hiking aspect and kind of connecting those two things is um, actually really cool um, and super refreshing. So yeah, I yeah, love that. I guess uh, one, one part I left out was that Dave and I uh, kind of by accident found our love for the outdoors. Um, about nine years ago, we were planning to go to Toronto and there was a trash strike and mm -hmm. Trash was piled as high as the tops of the fences of the basketball courts and everything shut down. So that's how we ended up going to Acadia. Someone said, hey, there's this really beautiful national park, um, you know, up north. You should go check that out. And 
we went to Acadia and we decided to camp and we had never really camped before as adults. Uh, we've both hmm. been camping um, a little bit growing up, but I really didn't grow up with it myself. Dave went with his family once in a while, but um, it was the first time we were doing it as adults and we did every single thing wrong. We <laughs> right on the ground and the ground there is primarily granite, so it sucked the heat out of us. <laughs> And we didn't know how to light a fire. It was just kind of a disaster. So, but we just fell in love with the place. So we didn't really grow up with the tradition of camping or telling stories. So we felt like we were kind of missing that knowledge or that tradition. And I think that's what led ultimately to this curiosity of pulling it together. I love it. Yeah, and I think that uh, that aspect of like kind of us starting to be outdoors by accident, I think that's a really important part of the story. Um, just the fact, you know, we didn't grow up with any stories. We didn't grow up with this tradition of storytelling around a campfire. So it's just something we didn't have. And as we started to fall more and more into, you know, taking our vacation time, kind of weekends and vacation time, kind of the edges of our lives, mm -hmm. um, really using that to explore more and more outdoors. The fact that we didn't have stories about these places uh, really heightened our curiosity, really wanted, uh, made us want to learn more about these places. Um, and, you know, it's it's really that hunger that drove us. If you don't have that hunger, if you already kind of know a few stories and can, can get by, you, you're not going to end up putting your life on pause and really traveling the country in search of uh, store, these stories that are classic, that are but also updated, that are going to tell you about uh, place, um, space, and the outdoors as it pertains to the, the people that maintain it. Yeah, that's uh, amazing. So it sounds like you guys then um, went from, okay, we were at Acadia National Park, we, we want to figure out this story thing. Um, so did you begin gathering stories there around Acadia, or did, did uh, things, how quickly did things escalate to where hey, let's travel the country and get stories from all of these different national parks. What, uh, tell me how that kind of came about for you. Sure. I think the first step, I mean, you know, plan one, the first plan was always just to buy the book that, that somebody <laughs> researched. Uh, when that didn't work out, when it wasn't available, I think we started, we went to the library and just checked out all these collections of folklore, mm -hmm. um, stories from around the world and around the country just trying to be like, okay, well, we, maybe we can find a few here and then, you know, start to build up our arsenal. Uh, but going through these collections, we just, it, it didn't make sense. Like, how, how, who are we to choose which of these stories are good, which of these stories are relevant, which ones are true and which ones aren't true? Mm -hmm. um, it really felt uh, disingenuine for us to really just, you know, from Philadelphia, select all these stories that we would kind of, you know, uh, bring, bring into our own lives. Uh, as uh, our understanding of these places. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, both Alyssa and I, the, the where we overlap in our professional uh, careers is that we um, we never rely on our own selves. And I think that's uh, that's obvious yeah. through this thought process. We work with uh, communities. We work we bring in a lot of collaborators in order to make our work happen. Um, so as we are kind of faced with these stories, faced with not knowing how to um, how to pick one over the other, I think we started to realize that we would need to um, go
go to these places. We would need to talk to whoever wanted to talk to us. And then, you know, eventually that would create a rubric for us to select um, one story over another. You know, we needed more time on the ground to really understand which of these histories were important. Yeah, I think um, not being from a literature background, a folklore background, um, we kind of relied on our skill sets as an artist and designer and met in the middle around community engagement. Mm -hmm. And as Dave mentioned, it felt a little inauthentic to select stories without talking to the actual people who are from these places. Yeah. And I think it was really important to us to not stray away from a typical process for an art project or a design project and, you know, just sit on our couch and Google what the best stories are from each place. Mm -hmm. We quickly realized that we had to go to the places uh, in order to find the stories. And um, we we kicked off the project. Um, we The way we approached it was that we wanted to make sure that our process made sense for this type of book project because we really weren't sure. Um, so we actually, we started somewhere familiar. We went to Acadia National Park and since we had some bearings there, some people we knew, we decided to prototype the process right. and being an artist and designer who tend to work in community engagement projects, we were like, we have to do a workshop and we have to workshop this and get everyone in one room to decide on the most important themes or stories and generate it all together. Um, and we did do a workshop. We had folks from, um, you know, the, the native museum there, the history organization, different arts organizations, members of the community who are on boards, um, all sorts of folks in one room. And it was really amazing and lovely. And we got to some really great themes, but it was, really challenging to schedule. Um, you're asking people who have their, you know, daily jobs and obligations to come together for a couple hours mm -hmm. to help you with your book <laughs> that we quite, you know, pay them for their time. Except <laughs> That's in right. Um, and so we started to adapt, realized that we needed to adapt our typical process for this book project and decided to really lean on interviewing folks. Um, and we, we met with some storytellers, uh, to kick off the project thinking that that would be a great place to start to identify what the important stories are of each region mm -hmm. and actually found it was a little bit difficult to meet with storytellers. I think we learned a lot about the art of storytelling, the art of oral traditional storytelling, yeah. but faced a lot of resistance in terms of um, capturing a story that would then be written down and captured in a book. Right. A lot of the sentiment that we heard was that once you write a story down, it dies. Mm. And what we try to communicate to those folks who, you know, very much deservingly, you know, they, they're worried about the craft and the representation of their art as oral storytellers. Right. Um, but what we tried to communicate was that we're of a generation that has maybe lost that ability or has lost that craft. Mm -hmm. 
and a good bridge to getting a little bit closer back to that traditional sense is having a story written down for someone to learn yeah. it and then maybe perform it or read it or internalize it in some way. Mm-hmm. And um, we, you know, we were, I think that was received, um, but we decided to kind of move on to all sorts of folks from the community that maybe you wouldn't traditionally go to for a story. Um, we met with all sorts of folks. We met with this guy, Diver Ed, who does these like dive in theater programs where he, um, you know, you get on his boat and he pulls stuff up from the bottom of the ocean and he kind of doing like a theater slash educational program. Um, we met with, um, somebody from the Abbey Museum who, um, is Wabanaki. Um, we met with professors from College of the Atlantic. So we really tried to meet with a lot of different folks. And one of the other first things that we learned is that you can't just ask someone, can you tell me a story about this place? Uh, we, we had a lot of awkward moments of silence and rules <laughs> and also a lot of people like, oh, I don't know any stories. And, you know, we're people who believe that like everybody has a story, yeah. but it was just very, you know, open-ended and unclear, I think to them, of like what is a story or what makes a good story. And it just put a lot of anxiety on people. Yeah. So we really learned what questions to ask. And that trip to Acadia, that whole prototyping the process allowed us to hone uh, those questions, that exploration, who we talk to, Mm -hmm. how we go about it, and kind of just creating a seed for this longer trip that we had envisioned. But we wanted to make sure that people were receptive and open to it and that it could be worth putting our lives on hold for four months to go to all the other parks. I'd like to dig into that actually a little bit more because I'm, I'm super interested in um, what you just said about people not realizing that they have a story to tell until, you know, when you just say to someone, well, tell me a story. Obviously, I mean, I think most of us would be sort of like, uh... I don't know, Mary had a little lamb, I don't, I don't know, you know, I don't know, I don't have a story, but, but we do. So, like, what did you do, and I, I just predicate that by saying this, you know, I think for all of us, as we are just coming out of the holidays, it's, you know, New Year's Day as we have this interview, um, I, I've just spent a lot of time with uh, relatives who are older and who are, um, you know, I mean, I don't, we don't know how many years we have left with our older relatives and with an older generation. So how did, what did you learn about trying to get stories from them? And I'm thinking even in terms of maybe not everybody's going to go find uh, people that live around national parks or whatever, but we all have older relatives um, where that's a super valuable process of saying, hey, grandpa, tell me a story or for some, hey, mom or dad, tell me a story. How how did you do that? How did you get those stories out of people who didn't realize that they actually have super important and and even historical um, significant type stories to tell? Sure. Um, 
Yeah, uh, it just real quick aside, a friend of mine told me that uh, when he envisions us doing this process, he envisions us kind of having a, a yellow notepad and an old Newsy hat walking around. <laughs> stories, stories, we're looking for stories. Right. Uh, right? But just like, you know, in Acadia, we learned that, that that doesn't work. Even when you, even if you can get an individual in a room, you can't just be like, what's your story? You know, tell us a story. So are you saying you did have the Newsy's hat or? <laughs> Later on, we had to get some sun hats, so maybe we could get a little closer to what he was doing. Um, right. I think the, that, that question of just like, tell me a story, uh, what's your story? That's too big of a question, I think, is what we discovered. Um, it's, you need to start putting the right frames on, I guess, what you're looking for. People are very generous, uh, is what we found. People want to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you kind of have to be generous back and frame the question uh, so that you know somebody isn't searching their entire life history um, and thro- you know throwing random things at you. You know when somebody asks, "Well, what are you looking for?" Um, you need to come back with some clarity, and you need to uh, point points. I guess just just put some put some frames up around the conversation so that uh, you know someone someone doesn't. Just like us, we're not going to want to talk for three hours, mm-hmm. especially if we're not sure if we're uh, get if, if we're hitting on something that the other person's interested in. Mm-hmm. So people want to be helpful. They just um, uh, and and it's that helpfulness that makes them ask, like, okay, well, what are you looking for? Mm-hmm. So if you, for us, I think we started to say, you know, um, uh, what were the three questions? What is your favorite things about this place? What does somebody need to know about this place? Mm-hmm. Um, what should not be shared about this place? Yeah, so those are two questions that just at least helped us get the conversation started. Um, and then as we as we kind of unfolded the conversation, you know, there there would be little bits, hints, little bits of stories that we would, you know, ask someone to follow up on. Um, I think that the big difference here, maybe um, with what you're asking, Bernie, is we're not like like story core where we're collecting personal narratives or stories. Um, I think early on we decided that we are collecting previously told or written stories, whether they're fiction, myth, legends. Right. Um, and if a personal narrative is really engaging around a campfire and makes sense to the themes that we uncovered, uh, that was fine, but we weren't. We were going into this knowing we aren't ethnographers. We're not anthropologists. We're not right. trying to record or write down verbatim um, tall tales. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we sifted through a lot of stuff like that, and a lot of the storytellers are right in that it doesn't translate well to the written story. Mm-hmm. So we had to be pretty selective in terms of what material we were using and also just our um, careful with our time. Uh, I'm going to say we only had two weeks in each park, but when you're doing research for a book, that's not that much time. Right. And, and we found ourselves not really, we didn't know what to do with a lot of the material we were collecting if it was more of a personal narrative. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of our way in with somebody was to ask them about themselves 
their relationship to the region. And we had those three framing questions, um, but we didn't really dig into the personal narrative side. And that kind of made our job easier where we could just focus on uncovering some themes that represent the, the essence of place. Mm -hmm. And then in that they might be like, oh, and you know what, this person, J.L. Crawford, you know, he's from our town and is a really important figure. And I think he wrote something about this exact thing. And then we would take that thread and go to the library or the National Park Archive and find that story that connects to that. So I think that's kind of the, the difference. Gotcha. Oh, that's fascinating. And I love that framework that is actually a super, I mean, right there, I mean, again, just kind of putting practical application to this that, I mean, you could go to a family reunion and ask your grandfather those questions, you know, about, because place and story are so connected, aren't they? You know, I mean, I think that's obviously what this, this book in one sense is, is very much about, but I've found with a lot of even fiction writers, um, place and the sense of place is, uh, is super important. And, uh, I think that's, uh, that's a really, those are great questions. That's great framework. Um, yeah, someone who uh, does that really well and who we discovered on the trip is Terry Tempest Williams, mm -hmm. who just came out with the book, The Hour of Land, which is actually about the national parks. Okay. Uh, she is best known, I think, for her writing about the Midwest and the desert. And so we first learned about her when we were in Zion and really, really struggling to acclimate to the desert uh, as <laughs> folks who love the mountains and the ocean, those ecotones. Yes. Uh, desert was very difficult for us. And I think it wasn't, it was really not until we read Terry Tempest Williams that we could begin to understand what people love about the desert and could could start to to find some joy in it ourselves. Right. Um, but she's a really, really great person who's able to connect story with place. So that would be something yeah. I would recommend anyone who, cool. who might be interested in that. Well, I will definitely drop that in the show notes so um, to, to make sure that uh, folks check out her book. So, um, you know, so that is that actually another thing that's super interesting to me. Um, just because I was I was actually uh, talking to someone recently. I live in South Carolina, and so Congaree National Park is not far. Uh, I've spent quite a bit of time in the Smoky Mountains and that national park area, uh, but haven't been to Congaree yet. But Congaree is is swamp. I mean, it's like like lowland swamp, but it's got one of the largest uh, old growth forests in the country or in the U.S. Uh, not North America, we've got more up north, but in the U.S. it's got one of the largest old-growth forests that are still in existence. What did you find? Did you find the stories um, different based on the landscape, like the desert versus the mountains versus um, maybe some of the others that you were in that were, were different? So did, did the tenure and nature of the stories change with the landscape, or did you find things to be very similar? I'm curious about that. I think the landscape um, affects every part of life in a really simple ways. Um, I think 
and and it was yeah it was, it was it's kind of something that's hard to get to and hard to put your finger on um that a good story can can communicate really well um like um thinking of an example i think i think you know when when we tend to think of landscape we tend to think of it as like kind of completely separate from us you know we live in right uh, we live we build these boxes and we live in those boxes and we and we believe that we've overcome landscape but Really, you know, a lot of the decisions that a, a region makes is working with and against the things that the landscape offers. So, um, you know, the stories about the desert um, will a lot of a lot of the things that in, come into those stories is just the be behavior of people. Um, the fact that like your the early morning is the best time to move around. You can't really do anything midday because it's just so hot out. Um, that you end up kind of living like an iguana. You you move around early, very early in the morning, very late at night. But the middle of the day is a time to kind of stay inside, mm -hmm. um, and that 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 kind of uh, th you know that's a detail of the landscape that you wouldn't really think. You, you think you know you've built a house, you can kind of um, avoid that and can control the temperature, right. but that affects people's behavior so much it affects how a community comes together and it ultimately affects like what can and can't happen in a way that um really a good only a good story can illustrate that's fascinating i think also in terms of voice or tone of the person who's writing the story or sharing the story i think that is the thing that jumps out to me is a huge difference um a good example of that, a writer that we really love from the Smoky Mountains, is uh, Wiley Oakley. And he has this book uh, of short stories called, uh, I think it's the Roman and Reston, or Roman and Reston. Uh, and there's another one called um, Roman. Roman with the Ramblin' Man of the Mountains. <laughs> yeah. it. And it, it's, it's, uh, it's a little difficult to read literally because the spelling's all wrong, the grammar is all wrong. <laughs> um, but it's because the landscape there was really challenging and tough and mm -hmm. people were really poor and didn't go to school or they had their own small school houses. Mm -hmm. um, and that is reflected in his writing, but it's something he's really proud of. And it's really a joy to read. Mm -hmm. It was probably my favorite uh, content to read on the road mm -hmm. um, because it, it also makes it really easy for you as someone who might be reading it aloud to kind of embody that voice yeah. of that region. Um, and he's someone who takes pride in the fact that, you know, he's not educated, but he knows a lot about the landscape that he's learned just through rambling through the woods or yeah. learning from professors and scholars who have come to study and used him as a as a guide as a nature guide throughout the park um, and then another thing that was super important to us throughout the process was um, making sure that we were finding and sharing stories for all people right um, that were the the folks who represent the region, mm -hmm. not just the white settlers who came in, but everybody who has lived and settled and 
you know, collectively built and shared these places. Mm-hmm. And in some places, that is really actually challenging to find those voices. Yeah. Um, you're only reading the stories from the white settlers or people who are traveling through as wealthy Europeans or Americans, and you can't really find the authentic stories from that place. And a lot of those other stories include native stories, which have actually been sort of reinterpreted. Um, Some regions like in Zion, like, you know, Mormonized. Mm. And so we tried really hard to be sensitive to that and aware of that and really digging in to find, you know, a diverse voice of each place. So, um, one of the, I think, more challenging regions uh, for doing that was the Rocky Mountains. And that's simply because a lot of the native groups there uh, actually traveled through that specific region um, through like hunting season mm-hmm. or for other reasons that was never really settled for a long period of time. Huh. Um, it was more of a pass through. So you know, that's reflected in even the fact that we couldn't even find somebody or an organization that represented those groups in the Estes Park or Rocky Mountain region, like six or seven hours south of the park um, to connect with anybody. That's Uh, interesting. So some, some parks, it was really easy. There's representation of the native groups there, but in some parks it was really challenging to even be able to find those stories. Wow. Well, I appreciate the fact that you guys took the time to do that because I think that's one of the things when looking at North American folklore that, I mean, it is a, it is a melting pot for sure, but I think the native stories that are here are oftentimes overlooked and, and, and very much downplayed to the, like you said, the European um, Western interpretations of those. So, Tell me, just just um, kind of looking at our time here coming to an end, I want to just briefly touch on you have a you, you have a product of all of this work that you've done. Um, it, it's as of at least our speaking right now, it looks like that can be um, pre-ordered. Um, what did you end up with? What, what are you what was the product that uh, you know what's this book going to look like um, when it's released into the wild? Sure. Well, we actually have two products of the book and the trip. Uh, <laughs> it was in the Smoky Mountains that we realized that we had a little stowaway on our trip and that we were pregnant and that our ah. was going to be a very different type of camping trip. Uh, so we are working on that, but we're also kind of in the final stages of the book, right? So we are uh, working with, uh, we have worked with our editors to select five or six stories from each of the places that we visited. Mm-hmm. Um, we're kind of going going back in and kind of rounding out each of these chapters. Um, those you know those parks being Acadia National Park, uh, the Smoky Mountains, the Rocky Mountains. We went down to Zion, uh, over to Yosemite, and then up to Yellowstone and back. Uh, so we're just rounding, getting the final you know republishing rights from each of those authors. We want to make sure that you know everybody's recognized and cited. Uh, so that a curious reader, you know, five stories isn't going to uh, give you that whole picture. Mm-hmm. So a curious reader could at least get this uh, get this introduction and hopefully go on and continue to read more. Um, but the book, 
we are so we're in the final stages of the writing right now. I get you know kind of our a little bit about about our trip, but how we came to discover these stories. Um, hope the next step is to go into the layout and design, and hopefully by um, we're, we're targeting for April in 2017 to uh, release the book. Great. Uh, yeah, and I think uh, one thing that's worth mentioning is the the book is an um, a pretty interesting anthology in that we have write, writers who might be well-known who are going to be included, like Bill Bryson, an excerpt from A Walk oh, wow. in the Woods, to Terry Tempest Williams. But m more excitingly, I think we're featuring folks who locally might be well-known or established, or maybe not, but we're giving them a broader audience or voice for a more national book. And so that's really exciting that we're getting a lot of enthusiasm from those writers and able to include a ballad or a poem, a personal narrative alongside a piece by someone like Bill Bryson. Uh, so that's really exciting. And another uh, aspect is that we're working with six illustrators across the country. Uh, and each illustrator has been uh, given a park to design, illustrate um, a spread for each section of the book. And so that's been really cool to be working with and supporting artists across the country. And a lot of the design and layout is almost to completion. So really just pulling everything together at this point. Yeah, so right now you can uh, go on campfirestoriesbook.com and just add your email to a mailing list that we'll, you know, we'll uh, let this group be the first to know when the uh, book can be ordered. Very cool. Well, I've, I've personally already done that. Um, I would encourage others to do so as well. And I guess we can also um, follow you guys. Like it looks like you've got a Twitter and an Instagram and all that that uh, folks can kind of follow the progress of, of uh, you know, the book coming together, I guess. Yes, so we're, um, we haven't quite talked about it too much, but we, we have a Kickstarter too, and we've been updating our backers as much as possible through that um, as well. So that's another channel. Kickstarter is over by about a, a year now, but um, we're going to do our best to keep everyone in the loop through all the various social media channels as we uh, also become new parents any day now. <laughs> wow, so that's that's happening very soon then, I guess. Yes. Yeah, we're we're due uh, you know, end of January, so awesome. we're we're all set for that. Awesome. Uh, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, no. I won't that was that sounded ominous, didn't it? So, well, well, order, but maybe not mentally yet. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. No, I think that's good. Well, I am super excited to get my hands on this when it comes out, and uh, we'll definitely be following what what you know the the, the process through the through the spring as as you kind of you know put all this together. And um, you know, uh, super congratulations in the new year for for uh, not only uh, you know putting a book together, but I mean you're going to have a kid, and that's uh, that's huge. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Um, Cool. Well, I uh, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to talk to me today, and um, I'm going to put in the show notes all of your uh, 
you know, some of the books that you mentioned here, as well as uh, all of the, your social media links and your website, uh, so that uh, folks can go to the show notes and um, follow you and, uh, and, and find out when, uh, when they can uh, get their hands on your book. Great. Cool. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it. I really enjoyed my conversation with these guys. They're really cool folks, and uh, I'm super excited about getting my hands on this book. I think it'll be a, a real asset to those of us who are interested in, in the stories that have been told to the generations um, in our culture here in the United States of America. And uh, I uh, hope that you will... Follow them. Go to their website and uh, at campfirestoriesbook.com. Uh, and there's a, a link right at the top of the page where you can pre-order the Campfire Stories book. And right now it's actually not available for pre-order. But if you go and leave your email address uh, at their website, they will let you know as soon as that book becomes available. So uh, I uh, am excited to, to, to see what they, what they end up producing. Uh, I think it'll be some quality stuff. Well, that's all we have for today. I hope that you all have a very happy new year. Uh, I hope that uh, you will uh, come back next week as I have some really interesting guests that uh, are lined up throughout uh, the month of January. Uh, we also are going to be doing a new creature feature here later this month. So uh, January's got some really cool stuff here uh, at the Folkloristic Podcast. So glad that you are listening. Please tell a friend. Uh, and uh, maybe even go to uh, uh, go to our uh, spot on iTunes and subscribe. And if you would take a moment to rate and review the podcast, that would also be really, really helpful for uh, others to be able to find us uh, here at Folkloristic. Uh, that's all for this week. I hope that you, again, have a happy new year and may your week be magical. See ya.